0: Well, good morning, fellowship. Good to see you. It always makes me nervous when Tim calls me Dr. Crawford-Loritz. It's kind of like when my wife uses my whole name. I know that uh, this is not going to end at a good place. So, <laughs> well, good to see you here this morning. It's a blessing to be with you. And if you're visiting with us, as Tim said, I'm going to be back here at Guest Central. would love to say hello to you and, and uh, hug your neck and shake your hand. A couple of quick things I want to say, and... I praise God for the generosity of this body. Last week, uh, of course, we spent time in prayer and talking about the great needs there in the Houston area with Harvey and the impact that that made. And I told you about a a wonderful friend of mine that pastors a a marvelous church there called Crossover Bible Fellowship, and uh, um, his name is Blake Wilson. And Blake uh, said to me, as I mentioned to you last week, that remarkably, miraculously, their church did not have a drop of water in it, and, uh, but he felt, and the elders of the church felt that uh, they were saved to serve, and uh, so what they have done there is, is uh, provide all kinds of relief, a center of distribution there through their church, and uh, um, helping people out, and by the way, his own people, although the church was, say, spared, uh, many of his folks in, their, in the congregation were devastated. All that to say is uh, to thank God for your response. Uh, Last week, you all gave over thirty-two thousand dollars. So bless the Lord, Amen. And uh, that's going to help tremendously with that effort there. Now, as soon as we talk about that, we get up for another one, Irma, and uh, boy, this is this is just unbelievable. We need to pray for people who are in the path of Irma, uh, the impact of that storm. Uh, I understand, as you've been watching the news, some of these smaller islands in the Caribbean have been obliterated uh, already by this storm, and a lot of us have friends and family who are in the path of the storm. I know Karen and I have some great friends of ours who are in Fort Myers and in uh, Tampa and uh, down in Naples, and so Pray. Pray that God will protect and pray that God will preserve their lives. Pray that people won't do foolish things and playing with this storm. Uh, Pray that God will just watch, watch over them. And I want to share this with you. Um, I got to say this the right way. Um, You know, Christians need to be very responsible about statements that they make. Oh, this is a judgment of God. Well, you don't know that. Okay. Don't know that. And, uh, You know, we say these things when these catastrophes take place. And let's be very responsible with our language because, you know, none of us are the authors of the 67th book of the Bible. So we just need to be careful about making these feeling statements. But let me say this. One of the things that I do want us to pray about, though, you know, these storms and these catastrophic events, the message is obvious. It shows us about about how fragile life is. And uh, it shows us how temporary stuff is. And uh, it has a tendency of knocking the arrogance out of us. And in that regard, this is a good thing. So let's pray that God will step into this while people are feeling vulnerable and open. The realization that uh, we're we're not in control at all. That this will drive us to understand that there is one who is absolutely in control. And so let's pray that God will take place. And I know we did this last week and and uh, we don't do this kind of thing every week. But once again, what I'd like for us to do is to get in groups of two and three and just spend a few moments praying for these needs, praying for protection as uh, folks in the path of Irma. I pray that God will step in and provide for them and Uh, And any other things that the Lord might put on your heart. Now, if you're visiting with us and you're not used to praying out loud in the group, you don't have to do that. But uh, for those of us who are here and are used to doing that, let's just turn quickly in groups of two and three and ask the Lord to step in. Holy Father, thank you so much for your, your love. Thank you for your presence. And Father, we ask of you in the name of your son that you will make your presence known to those right now who... Um, who are uncertain, and God, they they uh, have lost uh, property, and uh, God, I pray that you'll meet them at their point of need. I just think of all of those in the Caribbean who, who have been slammed, and those there in the Florida Keys, and uh, where this storm is headed. Lord Jesus, I pray for divine pr- perspective on all of this. Help us to, Lord, not uh, not be so uh, wrapped around stuff like bricks and cars and uh, things, Lord, even things that are dear, like pictures and memories and what have you. But may we be grateful, Lord, that you spared lives. And God, I pray that you'll watch over folks and give them hope, give them a sense of your presence. I pray for people who have evacuated, who might be in churches or pastors and others who might be ministering to folks in shelters right now. I pray, God, that you'll give them the word, that you will speak to hearts and comfort many. I pray that there'll be those who will trust you as Savior and Lord, that they will truly get into the ultimate Ark of safety, which is the Lord Jesus. So, Father, work, we pray. Uh, we don't understand what's going on right now with these catastrophes, but we know that you're on your throne. And we pray, oh God, that you will speak and comfort and heal and strengthen Thank you for what you will do. Now, Father, we pray that you bless these service, the service and speak to our hearts from your word and give us what we need. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. One other quick thing before we get into the book this morning. Um, this Wednesday morning uh, is uh, the beginning of Fellowship Institute, and we start at 530, and this is a time where real men will come and meet. I will... I will pay for that statement i'm sure, but <laughs> no it's it's a wonderful time. We still have a bit of room we've graduated everybody, and we changed the format, and so everybody went through it so we 're starting kind of over again, but uh there's still room for you. Um, it is an eighteen month uh curriculum that we take you through. And it's for a serious biblical framework. And for those of us who want to be more effective out there in the marketplace, it's an excellent equipping uh, path for that. Or perhaps uh, some of us might think eventually the Lord might transition you into full-time vocational Christian work. And this is an excellent foundation for that as well. Uh, We start promptly at 530 a dead stop at seven thirty, so that people can get the work and do what they need to do. Um, content is given, and from five thirty to about six thirty, six forty-five, and the rest of that time is spent around our tables and commun- in community with one another. And it really, really is exciting time. Now, we're going to do something this morning that uh, I said in the first service, this will either be the best thing that I've ever done or we will never do this again. Uh, Josh, Lily, and I are going to share a message together. And uh, Josh, as you know, is our discipleship pastor and is doing a wonderful job. And God is using him. He's connecting with our body. And just bless the Lord for him. I know that we started the series on First Peter last week. And uh, we're just going to take a break this week. Next week, we'll be back into the series. But we want to take a break because of what we want to emphasize today with regard to service and serving and why, why, that, why that matters. And so I'm going to be sharing, the, uh, he's going to share the first part of it. I'm going to set it up and I'll come back and say a few words and then we'll, we'll conclude this together. The title of the, of the, of the message is... Uh, uh, Serving, colon, what grown ups do. And the reason why we chose that title is because of the text that we're going to be in today, and that's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Service in this text is connected with spiritual maturity, it's connected with maturity. And it is a primary vehicle by through which that takes place. Well, let me just back up a little bit. We say that our mission statement here at Fellowship Bible Church is that we exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus who love God passionately and love others unconditionally. The operative expression is make disciples of Jesus. Now hang in there with me. Um there 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 there, 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 there are two extremes that you have to avoid when you talk about discipleship. Sometimes we can get very engineerish about discipleship and disciple making. In other words, it becomes very scientific and you run people through this curriculum and you go through this thing and you give them this input and this content and it becomes a little rote regurgitate. The other side is to avoid structure whatsoever and it just becomes swampish. Well, there is a dynamic tension. Uh, yes there there is structure to discipleship, but the, the 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 focus of discipleship is the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. And so that a disciple needs to look like Jesus and act like Jesus. It's not that they're just trying to spit out content. And so when we talk about making disciples of Jesus here, we're not talking about a pattern or a program necessarily, but we're talking about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus and looking like Jesus through all that we say and all that we do. So discipleship and service are linked together. In fact, you can't, you can't talk about one really without talking about the other. Discipleship is something that you become, but it's also something that you do. It is being baptized, but also observing all that Jesus commanded and taught. And in this text, sort of a general overall orientation of this passage that we're going to be walking through, you get the feeling from the words of the Apostle Paul that the church exists to develop those to serve, but secondly, to be a place for them to serve, but not to stop there, to commission people to serve. Josh is going to say a few words about that in a few moments. But let me say a word about the church, okay? Let me just talk about the elephant in the room. There is this There is this movement. Uh, some Christians have been caught up into this that say, well, you know, uh, honestly, I don't know. You don't really, really need to go to church. And they'll say stuff like, you know, I, I, you know, amen, I, I, I can go to church by just, you know, going online and watching, watching, a, a, you know, the service or I can, I can, I can watch TV and, or I can get some videos or, you know, I can watch other people. And, you know, what's the difference there? No, let me, let me just help you with that. That's not going to church. You know, you, you didn't go to church when you did that. You got biblical content. You heard a message. You got information, but you didn't do church. You didn't do church. Being a part of the body of Christ is, you know, uh, uh, is to experience the incarnated Christ in community with one another. And all these letters in the New Testament—they're not nebulous notes to some invisible group of people. These letters in the New Testament are written to specific churches this letter here the church at ephesus timothy was the senior pastor it literally was written to them so it's not some nebulous universal church no there's a sense in which this is modeled in the context of believers i heard this story not long ago it's kind of funny but it also is an ouchie where this uh this pastor um, uh, had this missionary come to him and want to sit down and talk to him about uh, his ministry. And so as they're chatting and in their meeting, this pastor's getting pretty excited because of the vision of this missionary and what he wants to do and this kind of thing. And so, but the pastor just asked him a question, said, um, what, what, what church are you a member of? And the missionary responded in sort of a spiritually condescending, arrogant way. Everybody's saying, oh, no, 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 I... I, I I'm not a member of a local church. Uh, I'm a member of the invisible church. So really? Uh, so the pastor, said, so, so you want this local church to give money to you? So yeah. And so the pastor just said, hey, okay, here's what I'll do. I'll give some invisible money so you can have your ministry to an invisible church. <laughs> Well, we chuckle at that, but there's a visible expression of the body of Christ. That's who we are, and that's what we're really, really all about. Um, The text that we're going to be walking through today uh, underscores the fact that there cannot be, as I said earlier, Christian maturity without service, and serving contributes to maturity. And that's the whole point of this gift conversation that Josh is going to unpack in in a second. This text, this passage, underscores why serving matters. Josh, why don't you come and share with us along those lines?
1: Thanks, Crawford. Well, good to uh, to be with you guys again and excited about the opportunity to, to team teach with Crawford. I was joking in the back with a family in my small group that this is kind of like wrestling. It's so like tag in and tag out. And so, uh, you know, I don't know who's bringing the chair, but... Uh, you know. So so we're in Ephesians 4, and, and when I spoke about a month and a half ago, we talked about identity, and that everything flows out of the reality of who we are because of who God is and what he's done for us. And so today, as we talk about this idea of growing up by serving, this passage really stands out to us because it teaches us how the body is to work together. And so we have in chapter 4 something, something going on that, that lands us on, on verse 11. I want to read 11 and 12 to you and then explain what's taking place. Paul writes this to the church at Ephesus and he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And he gave them for a purpose. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up The body of Christ. So what I want to do is is answer four questions before I turn it back over to Crawford. And the first is is this first question. What is the body? In the New Testament, you see this term body often. What is the body? What is this this body that, that Paul is talking about? Well, the body is the church. And the church is God's people on God's mission. Both of those things are extremely important. You can't have one without the other. God's people are God's redeemed people, those who have, who have received Jesus by grace through faith and have been reconciled through Christ to the Father. That's, that's, that's God's people, God's redeemed people, his holy people, his sanctified people. But God's people aren't just saved to sit, they're, they're saved to be sent. They're saved for a purpose. So we have God's people on God's mission. And by the way, God's mission is what brought God's people into existence. We don't have the people of God outside of the character and nature of our missionary God who sent his son Jesus to step into the world, to take on a skin suit, to dwell among us, to live the life that you and I have not, cannot, die the death that we deserve, and in triumphant victory, raise from the grave. So the mission of God is the reason why the church exists. So who is the body? The body is God's people on God's mission, also known as the church. Verse 11 then here leads us to our second question. Who is he? It says, and he gave, in the Greek here, actually, there's not a definite article, the. Instead it says, and he gave some to be apostles, and some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds and teachers, but who is he? You know, in the verses leading up to verse 11, we have this beautiful picture of the gospel. One of the songs we sang this morning is that God, Jesus, is the chain breaker. And right there in verses 7 through 9, we see that Jesus, when he came to earth and he rose from the grave, he set the captives free. And we have this good news that that we are now in Christ, a part of the family of God, and we are set free through Jesus. This is who He is. So, who is Jesus? Who is He as it relates to the church? Jesus is the chief shepherd, the one who laid down His life for the sheep. Jesus is the senior pastor, He's the one in charge. He gets to say what we do, and we say, Yes, sir, we will obey. Because now our identity is that we are family. God is our father and we are his children and that we are servants. Jesus is king and lord and we serve king Jesus the way he tells us to. So this is who he is. He's chief shepherd. He's senior pastor. He's lord over us. He tells us what to do. And and, and last last, uh, sermon Crawford said this, that means we don't get to choose what our priorities are. That means Jesus tells us what they are, and we as his church go about his business. Who is he? This is who Jesus is. The third question is, what did he do? You have these these offices and gifts taking place right here in 11. This is an interesting uh, uh, dichotomy right here of what's going on. What we see taking place is that Jesus has given gifts to people, and check this out, he's then given people as gifts to one another. Okay, so, so that's what's taking place here. We have this, this apostolic gifting, and we have this apostle office. And Crawford and I would agree that, that the office of apostle doesn't exist anymore. The apostles that, 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 that were taking place like Paul in the New Testament are people who visibly saw Jesus and were commissioned by him. Okay, But yet we are still gifted because Jesus is the perfect apostle by his spirit to do something. So the apostolic gift in our day-to-day, in our church body, looks like the person who always wants to send the church. If you get around me for very long at all, that's what makes me uh, get excited every day when I get up. How are we sending the church? How are we moving the church into the places they live, work, and play with gospel intentionality? How are we letting the glory of God be seen throughout the world? In Habakkuk, we see that God's desire is that his glory would saturate everything, and that God has then given us his spirit, and he sent us out to reveal who he is, to tell the world what he is like. So the apostle shows up to the church, serves the church by walking alongside the church and saying, listen, we want to equip you to live sent in the places you live, work, and play. Then you have the prophetic gifting. Once again, not big P prophet. Uh, The canon is closed. God has said already. He has spoken clearly, so we're not adding a 67th book to the Bible. But instead, we have people who operate out out of the spirit of God, and their gift is to point back at what God has said and point us to what we should do. And and we equip the body in doing that. Typically, that looks like people who are constantly looking back at what God has said about justice issues and pointing us to carry them out as a body. For example, rights of the unborn that we would care about them, those people whom God has created, and we would stand up for them. The least of these, as Jesus says in Matthew 25, and the prophets are pointing us back, saying, listen, if all we do is love one another, but we don't love the least of these, we're not carrying out the love of God in the places we live, work, and play. And then you have the evangelist. And some of you may know people like this. These are the people, when they walk into the room, they automatically find the person who's most receptive to the gospel. They share the gospel, and that person gets saved. You ever been around that kind of person? Maybe you know someone like that. I have a few of those in my life. One of those guys' name is Norm Retland, and when he he walks into a room, he's always thinking, God, who in here needs to know you, and who are you working on? And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter if you're eating barbecue with the guy or if you're getting your car washed. You're going to stay much longer than you want to because Norm is leading this guy to Jesus. It's the gift of evangelism, and it encourages us in the places we go to be intentional, then you have the shepherding gift. Once again, this is, this is a role today where shepherds and teachers work together to equip the saints. But because the Spirit of God is in each one of us, and Jesus is the perfect apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, we then operate out of these gifts. And that shepherding gift goes to sleep every night. And the burden of the shepherd is, did we love well today? Did, did we take care of God's people today? Do they know that they're loved I've got a guy in my life named Jason Dukes, and when Jason hugs me, I stay hugged. You you ever have one of those people in your life where it's like, this guy is gifted by the Spirit of God to be a shepherd in my life. Then you have the teacher. The teacher wakes up every day and goes to sleep at night saying, are we giving people a healthy, steady diet of God's Word so that they can mature into the fullness of Christ? And all of these gifts work together for our good. Fourth question is this, why? Why did King Jesus give these gifts to people and give people as gifts to the church? The answer is this, that God desires that his work be carried out through his people. And that means that we all get to play. Isn't that good news? Maybe you were like me, and you were the kid who was always picked last in elementary school for everything, and you're just like, please, God, don't let me be picked after Timmy. Like, please, Timmy's got an asthma inhaler, he's got snot running out of his nose, and his glasses are falling off. Just let me get picked before Timmy. The good news about being in the family of God is that the gospel that saves us is now a gospel that sends us to equip one another and to see those who don't yet know Jesus come to Christ. So what is the ministry of the gospel? Why is he equipping us to do this? The ministry of the gospel is simple. It's twofold, and they don't get to live apart from themselves. The first is that people who don't know Jesus would come to know Jesus. And the second is that those who do know Jesus would become more like Jesus, that they would mature in Christ's likeness. And and, and sometimes we tend to live in one of those and not both. I know that in my own life, I tend to live in one camp instead of both often, and I've got to correct my life and look around and say, why is it that I enjoy going out instead of serving in, or why is it that I enjoy serving in and I have no out? The mission of God, the ministry of God that he's equipping us to participate in through one another is both bringing people into the family, and maturing people in Christ, so i 'm going to pass it back to, to Pastor Crawford.
0: thanks so much, Josh, and I hope you picked up on what Josh said earlier that God gave gifts to the church, but we are also gifts to the church and that 's tension as you walk through this passage it 's just not the gifts it 's our place in serving. And as you look at this passage, you could you could trip over a few things. You could say, okay, well, those are primarily offices. And I, I loved his observation because we're both reading from the English Standard Version. I really like that. But I, it's unfortunate the way they've t- translated this because it doesn't have the definite article. He gave some gifts to the church. And although you could say that those are offices, I think the emphasis there is, is, is not He's not saying that these are all the gifts, but the emphasis is the, in the text is what these gifts do. And so for a further reading, you can go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you can you can see some of the gifts that are outlined there, and a few more of those gifts are mentioned in Romans chapter 12, and you'll get a composite picture of what those gifts are. But the point of this passage is that the utilization of your gifts is to be focused on serving not only the Lord, but also serving one another. And that service produces maturity. And again, the, the emphasis, as Josh pointed out, was that you know, these, these are all given for the, for the equipping of the saints. And I think most of you realize this, but let me just state the obvious. Uh, the staff at Fellowship Bible Church does not exist to do the ministry at F- Fellowship Bible Church. That's not the primary reason why we have staff here. We don't have staff to get the ministry done. We have staff here primarily to equip others to do the ministry. Now, there are things that we do, but even the way we do what we do ought to be multiplying the impact and equipping others to get the job done. It's all about discipleship, and it's all about multiplication. So this is not about Crawford. This is not about Crawford's platform. This is not about Josh Lilly developing some superstar arena for discipleship. And I can go down the line with all of our staff. No, this is really all about you. It's about the glory of God. And it's about releasing God's people and equipping them to do what God wants them to do. But I would argue again that here in the passage itself, that Paul is using service as a means to see maturity. And so, verses 13 through 16, he actually outlines four characteristics of maturity. When these gifts are operating and when people are serving in the body, when they're giving themselves away, when they're serving one another, this is what it will produce. And Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, he said, Hey, 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 church at Ephesus. These gifts and the people serving here, this is what's going to happen. By way of implication, he's writing us Fellowship Bible Church, Roswell. When you're serving and these things are operative, these are the four things that will be clear about this church. The first thing that will be produced is found in verse 13. They're very obvious. It's unity. 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 So it's the building up of the body, verse 11, to equip the saints for the building of the body. What will take place? He says, okay, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Notice how he relates unity to maturity, unity to Christ's likeness. If you're writing or taking notes, you might, you might write down 1 Corinthians 12 and notice, notice the, the inspired illustration in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He's talking about a body and Christ being the head of the body and the unity that's found in that body when the gifts are all functioning and people are serving. I've said this here before and I want to say it every single time I talk about spiritual gifts is that, you know, we have a tendency in the Western world and our hyper individualism to use everything as a means of self-actualization or a platform for our own significance. But the gifts were never given in the body uh, to the body for us to primarily focus on our own personal fulfillment as we use our gifts. No, the gifts are vehicles of expressing in a self-sacrificial way what it means to love the Lord Jesus and to pour into other people's lives. In fact, in fact, you cannot have you cannot have unity unless there is selfless serving. And so the very first thing he says, man, you look at these abilities and these gifts and these talents and you flip the script. and You say, no, no, it's not about you being the top dog or the CEO. Jesus is the CEO and we're down here serving one another. And the first thing that will take place is that there'll be sweet unity. The second characteristic that he outlines is found in verse 14. Not only will unity be produced when we're serving in this way, we're utilizing the gifts, talents, and abilities that God's given to us, the spiritual gifts that he's given to us. He said, what it will also produce, number two, is stability. It says in verse 14, this is amazing. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. I would say here that what 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 Paul is um, alluding to and the assumption that he's making is that these spiritual gifts are operating within the context and framework of inspired, revealed truth about God. Um. Uh, because what he's talking about here is that, look, 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 look. What will take place when you're honoring Christ and you're honoring God with your spiritual gifts? And they're, 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 they're coming out underneath and through the word of God. That is a framework, the banks of the river. You're not just using the Bible as a point of reference. The Bible is the context for your discipleship. The co- Bible is the context for your service. What it will produce, what it will produce is discernment. It will produce wisdom. It will produce a truth appreciation. Um, Saying it negatively, we should not be like immature children who are easily swayed and confused. When we're serving within the context of truth, it will give us the banks of the river and what that's all about. And that we should not be deceived by false teaching or in any way manipulated. We will be discerning. That's what it's all about. Um, I think Paul is saying in, in sort of an indirect way that there are religious quacks waiting to kidnap God's people. So you have to understand that service is not random. Service is within the context of biblical reality and truth. In this way, it contributes to stability. You're not flighty. You're not running back and forth. You're not, you're not, you're not chasing down things that, that are not really endorsed by the Bible. Uh, you're, not, you're not reading books and applying stuff just because a Christian puts its name on it. and That's really basically heresy. Now, there will be discernment as we, as we serve. The third thing that this produces when we serve under the lordship of Christ and our gifts of functioning and we're equipping one another, the third characteristic is growth, growth. He's talking about Christ's likeness here. Verse 15 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in him. I think that there's certain implications. Serving does not necessarily mean that you never confront that which is wrong. And I think Paul realized that, look, we're living in community with one another. And uh, we're not always right. We're, we're sinners. We're not fourth members of the Trinity. There are things going on in our lives. There's imperfections. And we're, that's what a family is all about. Uh, and But as we serve one another... There comes opportunities in which we have to speak the truth in love. And the goal of our service is not, is not to codify people or to affirm them in their dysfunction and their sinfulness. That is wrong. The goal of our service is growth and maturity and Christ likeness. And we want people, we want folks to look like Jesus and to act like Jesus. So we're not talking about a cheap, superficial service that all it does, it goes around and affirms people without challenging people. And I think that's the reason why he puts this in the text. But speaking the truth in love. By the way, I would say that truth without love is brutality. To just go around speaking your mind and critiquing folks and giving your opinion about stuff and telling and blowing people up, telling them how screwed up they are. You might be right. You might be factually right, factually right, but you might be ruthless in your heart. So it's not just a matter of speaking the truth. Speaking the truth without love is brutality. Flip side, however, love without the truth is hypocrisy. You do nobody any good. By just crying with them, weeping with them, telling them nice things, but never telling them the truth. Speaking the truth in love is a portrait of what grace is all about. Grace holds in dynamic tension, truth and love. If you have all truth, obviously you don't have grace. If you have all love. You don't have grace. It is speaking the truth in love. By the way, interesting here in in, in the Greek text, literally, literally, this phrase is literally truthing in love. Truthing in love. And I think uh, what Paul implies, this is the idea of maintaining the truth in love, both in terms of speech and our life. That my life is gracious. My life is characterized by truth and love. And how I approach people and how I speak to them. How I challenge them. Is characterized by love and truth and truth and love. But all of this is over against the backdrop of the exercise of spiritual gifts. You see, there's this line here that says, grow up into him. Grow up into him. Again, I argue that in all these texts that talk about spiritual gifts, it all is a pathway to exalt Christ, to look like Jesus. The growing up into him implies that Christ is the source of our growth, but he's also the aim of our growth. So we're all about Jesus. I serve because I want to look like Jesus, but I want you to look like Jesus. And so we utilize our gifts and talents and abilities within the context of urgency because we want to grow and look like him. The fourth thing that he says, characteristic that will take place when we're functioning this way, when these gifts are operative, And we understand that the spotlight of the gift, the direction of the gift is to equip the followers of Christ. To grow them up, to look like him. He said there is a composite picture. There is synergy in the church. In fact, I stated this way, this characteristic is that the church, a healthy church becomes spiritually self-sustaining. Now you'll understand when we read the words. Look at the words here in verse sixteen. It says, "From whom the from whom the prepositional phrase picks up from the last clause of verse fifteen, who is the head into Christ, from whom Christ the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Equipped. Going back, these gifts are given for the equipping of the saints." Equipping of the saints, we want to we want to equip you. Uh, uh, every joint is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. And here's a line that it builds itself up in love. It's remarkable to me that there is an organic Holy Ghost. Dynamism that takes place in a church that focuses on Jesus and gets out of the way and lets people exercise the God given gifts that He's given to them in building up one another. The body becomes, in a strange way, self sustaining. It's remarkable. I just spoke up at uh, North Carolina State University, Uh, Campus Crusade for Christ is now called CRU. That is their largest student ministry in the United States. And uh, if you meet the director of the of of the ministry there, I don't say this. I don't say this. And I say this complimentary. When you meet Mike Mahaffey, Mike is like he's not the prototype campus director. He's not the prototype campus. Mike is like 65 years old. He's been there since 1981. Usually the campus director's a little younger and this kind of thing. Uh, You know, uh, Mike is a teddy bear. He is, he he loves people. And so you scratch your head and you say, now, wait a minute. You know, there are over 200 students who are leading discipleship groups here. There's 1,200 students who are in these discipleship groups, there are over 1,000 students, Christian students that come out every week. 1,200 of these students are being impacted and deployed. And you're the talk of campus. Now, how, how is this happening? And Mike will tell you, very simple. Our staff team just gives these kids what they need and get out of the way. It's organic. And that's the vision that God wants us to have. It's not that heavy. Give people what they need and get out of the way. Now, I got to tell you, um, <laughs> it's not a very kind thing to say, but my my kids, when they were, uh, say, in that corridor between 18, 19, and 20 years old, you know, in college, And every once in a while, uh, they would call home and ask me about doing something or say that they were going to do something, uh, to which Karen and myself did not necessarily agree. And I would say this to them. I said, you know, uh, we try to respect you guys uh, and treat you like adults and this kind of thing, um, but I'm going to tell you no on this one. And the response sometimes would be something like this. Seriously, Dad? You know, I'm grown and my response would be this not really what do you mean I'm not grown let me explain something to you <laughs> as long as I'm writing a check for your bills you ain't grown you're grown when you're self-sustaining now I don't like playing that card but since we went there let's stay there for a minute So, you know, watch this grown language. You're grown when you take care of yourself. Well, that's a silly little, but that's exactly what Paul is saying here. A church is mature when there's this organic dynamism. People don't have to recruit you. You do it because you're captured by Jesus. There doesn't have to be a perceived bending in it. We serve. We serve. It's self sustaining. It's synergism. That's, we get it. We get it in the business world. Now, they do it for other motives. Sometimes they're mergers in the business world. The reason why they're mergers in the business world, they, they come to realize, realize that, look, there's a market share that we ain't getting, and there's a market share that you ain't getting. But if we draw forces together, by the way, we make a lot more money, and we're able to get this. So let's do it. How much more should we as the body of Christ as we look at the cause of Christ, we look at the number of people who are yet to be reached in this city and around the world, we look at the needs that we have in this body, how much more should we lay down our agendas and our name tags and our resumes and our desires and say, hey, look, the cause is bigger than us. Let's serve. Let's serve. And that's, that's what this text is, is really, really all about. I'm going to ask Josh to come and uh, give us some marching orders and to help wrap this this time up.
1: All right, <clears throat> try and let the uh, let the rubber meet the road here as we as we close. We're um, we're doing our best right now as a staff and as elders to really make sure that we're doing all we can to equip the body for the work of ministry. One of the things that you're going to see even today is something called Grand Central. And as you walked in through the doors, you probably saw that on your right, and I want to encourage you that as you seek God and ask him about where you can be equipped and where you can be an equipper, that you would connect with our leaders and volunteers in Grand Central, and that you would do that online. You can find that on our website, and and specifically, we're, we're We're giving you opportunities for three things. And first is this, that we would own our identity as family, that we would move from guest to family, from guest to family. And if you're a first-time guest here, we know that that's going to take a little time, and so we're not asking you to do that today. But if you've been here for a while, we ask that you'd participate in equipping those next to you and in being equipped You know, if you were to come over to my house, my wife uh, would, would cook a great meal, and I would clean up the dishes, and we wouldn't expect you to help, but I expect all of my family to help, and there's a big difference there. So first is this. Let's move from guest to family, and a great way to ceremonialize that, a great way to make covenant together through that is through membership. So if you're here and you're ready for that next step, I want to encourage you to go back to Grand Central and talk about what it looks like to become a member. Find out what your gifts are and how God, by his spirit, is calling you to play a role in the maturity of the body right here at Fellowship Bible Church. Next is move into community. And here's the thing about community. We have, we have group life here. We have that through Sunday communities, and we have that through small groups. So we call group life at Fellowship Bible Church. But pressing into community, we got to make sure we understand it rightly. We're not calling you to time and place, we're calling you to relationship. Hear that again. We're not calling you to time and place, we're calling you to relationship. We're not calling you to a house at 3700 Monahans Drive. We're calling you to relationship with the people who are committing to maturing Christ together and to go on mission together, the out and the in. It's really important. And so you can also connect to group life, to small groups and Sunday communities through Grand Central. Third is we want to help you get connected to service opportunities. Because God has so loved us, we love others. And your heart probably beats for a specific type of person. In this church, maybe your heart beats for the child who needs to be rocked in the nursery. Maybe your heart is beating for the youth who are going through transition in their life and they need an example of what Christ looks like. Maybe your heart is beating to get people around you and start a small group that will reach your neighbors and help those in the group grow up into Christ. Maybe your heart is beating to help people connect to the body, and so you want to help out in Grand Central, and you want to serve here, and you want to pass out invitations to people, and you want to give them a bulletin. Maybe your heart beats for people who are pulling up into our parking lot for the first time and have never been here before and are scared to enter in. And so maybe you're going to help drive one of our buses, which until recently I didn't realize we had. That's pretty cool. We need to drive some of those one day Crawford. Maybe your heart beats for a specific, he's like, no, I'm not doing that. You don't want me to drive it either. i put it through a fence. So your, your heart beats for a people group because God lives in you through his spirit. And so as you go and you serve, don't do it out of guilt. Don't do it because, oh my goodness, here's another sermon about now we've got to serve. I just want to show up. Do it because the love of God has captured your heart. Do it because your identity in Christ is that you are a family of servant missionaries. That this is who you are and therefore this is what you do. And find joy in it. A joyless volunteer is not helpful to anybody. So let's, let's pray together. Crawford, would you close us?
0: Yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to close us in prayer, but let me just say one word here. Um, uh, sort of the elephant in the room, number one a is that so many of you i 'm looking out here, so many of you are serving, and it is so exciting uh, it is It is wonderful, but secondly um, we 're trying to do a better job of making it easier for people to serve it 's not always been easy, and there's some opportunity for us, and we 're trying to do that we 're trying to flatten things out we 're trying to make it easier for people to serve. And that, so that people won't fall through the cracks. Sometimes that has happened. And when you've been around for 30 some odd years, sometimes, you know, uh, there can be some roadblocks. And so we're dealing with that and we're trying to work on all of that. And that's on us. But by God's grace, we're going to help help you do that because serving is the pathway to maturity. And uh, so we want we want people to leverage their gifts and abilities. I want you to stand at this time as we pray. And, you know, Josh, Josh did such a fine job at the beginning of his section of talking about the gospel and the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, you may be here this morning and you may not have trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord. Uh, Maybe you thought you did, but you got questions about that. Well, that can be ended right now. Jesus was and is the great servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. He died on the cross in our place and for our sin. To not only forgive us of our sin. That's, that's remarkable. He forgives us of our sin. He places us in his body. And a family. He gives us gifts and ability And what's more, he gives us his spirit, his power to utilize those things. Isn't that remarkable? But it all begins by trusting him. And so right now, if you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus, you don't know him as your savior and Lord. um, Maybe you've been kind of like dealing with, did I really do this? Well, you can make sure right now. While I'm talking at this very moment, you can say in the quietness of your own heart and mind, Lord Jesus, I need you. I turn from my sin and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Forgive me of my sin and make me the person you want me to be. As simple as that, if you pray that with the sincerity of your heart, Jesus Christ has come into your heart and life. There'll be staff members and elders up front here. Uh, I'm going to be back in guest central. If you pray that prayer, you can come up to me or to Josh or anybody else who's up here and say, you know, I prayed that prayer and we'd love to get in touch with you. The other thing, if you've got any spiritual need whatsoever, any burden on your heart, maybe we talk about the day, but it's on your heart and you just need somebody to pray with you. That's why we are here. Come on up and let us let us love on you and let us go to the throne together. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful church. Lord, thank you for the people here. Thank you for the folks, Lord, who have served diligently through the years, God. And thank you for the blessing. But Lord, may we be more urgent about this, Father. Realizing as we think about these storms that life is fragile. Life is uncertain. We have opportunity. We have gifts. We have abilities. We don't control the clock or the calendar. So, Lord, may we have a holy get after it in our souls. Lord, release us, we pray. Release the gifts through us, we pray. Give us meaningful opportunities and arenas to do the very things that you've gifted us to do. And as Josh so wonderfully outlined, burdened us to do. And may we as a body position ourselves and may the leadership of this church position ourselves in such a way that we remove the roadblocks and hindrances to making that happen. Dismiss us from this place. Help us to be safe in Jesus' name. Amen.